needed. It's good to see all of you here. Welcome to Woven Covenant Church. My name is Wayne Park. Um, it's continually my privilege to serve this community as the lead pastor. And um, uh, coming up on almost six years of living here in Houston, and uh, this is the church that um, I'm called to serve, that I'm happy to serve, and continually enjoy serving this community. So I want to welcome you. Um, we are presently transitioning between two series. We just completed a series, a study through the Old Testament book of Isaiah, and we're on the edge of starting a new series in the fall called Sanctifying Monday to Friday. You just saw a video teaser for the Reframe course, which we're going to do together with this series. Now, I don't know how many of you are not looking forward to tomorrow. Not just because it's work, but because it's the first day at school. And I know some of you are teachers in particular. You're not looking forward to school. Um, but uh, for me, I remember um, before I was in ministry, I really wrestled with the significance of what I did Monday to Friday. I wrestled with what does this have anything to do with anything. I wish I could just live one day in his courts forever. I wish Sunday, every day were Sunday. I wish I could just be spiritual and live on cloud nine and play my harp and just live my life like that. Unfortunately, we have to get back to the real world, quote unquote. But the thing is, that thinking where we separate what is spiritual and what is secular, it's problematic. And when we, when we draw that out to its conclusions, we have all kinds of healthy notions. We understand only Sunday as spiritual, and then we see what we do for a living as unspiritual. And this is, um, uh, it leads to all kinds of, 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 of troublesome notions. It's important for us to recognize the value and the significance of what you do Monday to Friday as spiritually just as significant as Sunday. That spirituality is not just a Sunday thing, but vocation matters, calling matters, career matters, work matters in the eyes of God. So that's what we're going to start talking about come September with the new series, Sanctify Monday to Friday, and we're going to view um, the Reframe course in smaller groups meeting throughout Houston. It's a 10-week course. It's going to last throughout the fall season corresponding with this series, and each week, we're going to show a teaser clip of that week's video that is going to be watched in the small groups. I've watched some of these, and I really feel like this is a very dynamic, very important, very helpful resource. I know as a pastor, I suffer from word inflation. This is the best series yet. This is the most important thing you're ever going to hear. And yet again, I'm going to do that. I really think this stuff that we're going to talk about this fall season needs to reach more ears. I only, I only wish that more can hear about this because it's that important. I think it's going to be that helpful. In fact, if you feel like you have a coworker or somebody in your field that is just tired or um, discouraged or looking for some kind of career transition, I think you might want to invite them to one of these talks or one of these small group gatherings to watch the video because I think it will really speak to a lot of people. So that's starting in two weeks, in two weeks. Until then, hold the phone, hang on, we're going to transition, and for the next two weeks, I'm just going to talk through the church calendar for the assigned passages for today. Next Sunday, we also have assigned passages through something called the church lectionary. 
These are passages that are being preached throughout the church worldwide. And today's assigned passages are Luke chapter 13 and Isaiah chapter 58. So what I'm going to do today is talk through both of those passages in two halves. The first half is going to be Luke chapter 13. And if you look in your bulletin, you'll find notes. It has, it's, a, it's a little white sheet with three holes punched in it. And this is going to be our talk for this morning. Two halves. The first half, we're going to look at Luke chapter 13. And the second half, we're going to look at Isaiah chapter 58. These are the assigned passages for today. Now, lo and behold, what do these passages talk about? But Sabbath. So in some ways, we're already starting this work series. This whole thing about work, in some ways, you can consider this a teaser. You can consider this um, maybe the pep rally as we begin that work series in September. Sabbath is an important thing. In order to understand work, I think we have to understand rest. In order to understand rest, we also have to understand work. So we're going to begin with this first half. The first half as we look at Luke chapter 13, answering the question, why Sabbath? Why rest? So look with me at Luke chapter 13, verse 10 to 17. And Jesus was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. And there was a woman who for 18 years had a sickness caused by a spirit. And she was bent over double and could not straighten up at all. I'm sure there are some people here I know who've had back problems. Now this woman for 18 years could not straighten up. And when Jesus saw her, he called her and said, Woman, you are freed from your sickness. He laid his hands on her and immediately she was made erect again and stood up and began glorifying God. The synagogue official, indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, began saying to the crowd in response, now picture, one person healed, next thing you know, everybody's bringing all their sick people. And there's this huge uh, crowd all on the Sabbath day. And the synagogue official says, look, there are six days in which work should be done Come on those six days and get healed, but don't come on the Sabbath day. We're not supposed to work. We're not supposed to gather like this. We're not supposed to have crowds on the holy day. But Jesus answered him in verse 15 and said, You hypocrites, doesn't each of you on the Sabbath untie your ox or your donkey from the stall and at least lead him away to water him? This woman, a daughter of Abraham, as she is, whom Satan has bound for 18 long years, should she not have been released from this bond on the Sabbath day? And as he said this, all his opponents were being humiliated, and the entire crowd was rejoicing over all the glorious things being done by Jesus. What Jesus does here is he presents a different perspective on Sabbath. I might even say a competing perspective. By competing, I mean this. The notion of Sabbath, the notion of rest, it was not something at this time that was well-developed. Rabbinic Judaism, I don't know if any of you have Jewish friends, they have certain orthodox standards that they have to live according to. They wear certain things on their head, Some, uh, especially if they're very orthodox, they won't cut their hair, they wear phylacteries, they do certain things. They follow the rules. The thing is, this whole thing, rabbinic Judaism, it started about the time as Jesus was teaching. Phariseeism was the proto, it was the, the, the beta version of rabbinic Judaism as we know it today. 
In other words, as people were really beginning to develop their ideas and set rules, on Sunday, you cannot buy anything. I don't know if any of you have ever, ever heard that. On Sunday, you can't go to the store. On Sunday, you can't um, exercise. On Sunday, you can only go to church and that's it. On Sunday, you can't leave the house. On Sunday, you can't do this. All of this stuff was being developed at this time and Jesus was bringing this different perspective and saying, Sabbath, rest, Hang on, guys. It's not just about a list of do's and do nots. Sabbath is about man. And this is the first half. Why Sabbath? And you can fill in the blank. Why do we Sabbath? Because it's good for us. It's not just about following rules. Um, It's not just about what you can't do on the holy day, on the Lord's day. You shouldn't go shopping. Actually, Sabbath was meant for man. Jesus will clarify this in Mark chapter 2, verse 27, when he says, quite literally, Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. In other words, we weren't made to follow all these rules to the point where it was constricting. The point of Sabbath is it was beneficial for us. Sabbath is something that's good for us. It's important for us. It's not about legalism. Here's the irony Jesus, you can sense him almost poking in the ribs, the synagogue official, saying, listen, this poor woman has been in your church, in your synagogue for 18 years. And under your system of rules and your system of oppression and legalism, it hasn't helped her one bit. Isn't the Sabbath about liberation? Isn't the Sabbath about freedom? Aren't we supposed to go to church and be freed? Instead, with our rules and our stipulations, what we do is we place heavier burdens on this poor woman's back. So he defines Sabbath in a more natural, in a more realistic way, almost in this, in this anti-establishment way. Jesus always knew how to ruffle feathers. And he says, no, it's not just about the more rules and the legalistic. It's about freedom. It's about healing. On the Sabbath day, I pray that your attendance at Woven would not just be a burdensome thing where it's more guilt heaped upon you. I really hope that's not what it's about. I hope that coming to Woven is a place where, this is a place where you feel freed, where you feel maybe something is unlocked in your thinking. Maybe you found exactly what you needed to hear in order to go and mend that relationship or fix something or get some therapy or counseling. I pray that this is a place of healing. And so, I want to offer an application. In fact, I'm going to offer six applications. So we're talking about Sabbath. How do we Sabbath? The first way to Sabbath and the fill in the blank, the first practical step, value self-care. Value self-care. When I was 21 years old, I was growing up in New York City, outside the suburbs. I lived in one of the grittier parts of town, Flushing and then Bayside. And then I commuted into New York City. And by the time I was 21 years old, and it's not all New York's fault. It was partially a lot of inward things, family dynamics. But by the time I was 21 years old, I had gotten clinically depressed for the third time. For the third time. And I'll just share some of my, my story there. The first time was when I was 13 years old. I was overwhelmed. We went through a big move from Flushing to Bayside. I was very, I was very confused and I got depressed. And then again in college, 
and I suffered a depression that, I, 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 that was combined with a, a faith crisis. And then once again in my early 20s, and I began to wonder, what's going on? Why am I just constantly down? Why am I feeling manic? And in the midst of this depression, I began to identify one of the causes. Now, depression is a multifaceted thing. One of the causes was that the environment I had grown up in was a workaholic atmosphere that did not value self-care. It did not value self-care. I grew up in a very spiritual environment that talked about a lot of spiritual things, and this connects to the work thing as well. Sunday and church work is spiritual. Therefore, if you want to be spiritual from Monday to Friday, you've got to come back to church in order to get clean from the world. Something really wrong with that. And as this view was more and more inculcated in me, I became a workaholic. I did not self-care. That sounds like psychological mumbo-jumbo. Why would we need to value self-care? Why would we need to take care of ourselves? Jesus will take care of me. And yet, for the third time, here I was feeling the plunges in my soul. Now, incidentally, I made a very big step at that time in my life. I left home. I grew up. I got some healing. I got some breakthrough in my understanding of faith. And I have not been depressed since. It's been 16 years, 16 years since my last major depressive episode. And I'm never sufficiently grateful to God for freeing me from that. But all to say that I had to work in this understanding, we have to value self-care. Sabbath is when you say enough is enough. I need to take care of myself. Mothers, I understand that mothers, you know, I'm a... Father, and it's easy for me to do my own thing, live my own life, be selfish. But mothers, so often you're putting the needs of other people in front of yourself. Constantly the needs of other people. Value self-care, mothers. Value self-care. The second application on how to Sabbath, quite practically, is to surrender. This is the second fill in the blank. Let it go. Just let it go. And so for me, when I studied, uh, when I was studying in New York City, I trained as an artist, um, as a graphic designer, actually. <sighs> Kerning and, and uh, spacing between individual letters. You know, you, you, you select the letter and then you just nudge it this much. It's meticulous work. And that carries over into the way I work today. This obsessive, meticulous perfectionism. Here's the thing. Perfectionism is the enemy of progress. Perfectionism is the enemy of progress. Sometimes at the end of the day, you just got to let it go. Sometimes at the end of the day, we just have to let go, of, let go of, of that last thing that I just needed to do. Sometimes we just need to surrender it. Sabbath, Sabbath is saying enough is enough. Surrendering and letting it go um, I mean, even this week for me, I found myself having to finish this last thing before the sun went down, having to complete this task. And that's why once a year at least, I always have to read this poem called Renew. And I'll recite it for you because I think it really captures this spirit that says, guys, we just need to surrender. We need to let it go. The poem goes like this. Rest when you're tired. Take a drink of cold water when you're thirsty. Call a friend when you're lonely. 
ask God to help when you feel overwhelmed. You see, many of us have learned how to deprive and neglect ourselves. Many of us have learned to push ourselves hard when the problem is that we're already pushed too hard. Many of us are afraid the work won't get done. If we rest when we're tired, the work will get done. It will be done better than work that emerges from tiredness of soul and spirit. Let me say that again. It's so good. The work will get done. It will be done better than work that emerges from tiredness of soul and spirit. Nurtured, nourished people who love themselves and care for themselves are the delight of the universe. They are well-timed, they are efficient, and they are divinely led. Friends, do not let any pseudo-false spirituality convince you. That's just hippie New Age nonsense. Taking care of yourself? Why do I need to take care of myself? That sounds like psychology. I only need the Bible. The Bible tells me to follow Jesus. Follow Jesus. Follow Jesus to the end. Yes. But friend, if you live in a culture of burnout that does not value self-care, and I can tell you because I've been at the edge, you will wind up on the edge. You will wind up cracked, broken, depressed, discouraged, confused. Why is God letting this happen? Valuing self-care is very important. Letting things go and surrendering them is an important part of spirituality. If you can't let something go, if you can't surrender something, that's often a mark of something uh, underlying deeper things. A third application, a third way to Sabbath, and I think this is probably the best definition of Sabbath that I've heard. It comes from um, Bruce Walke, who I studied Old Testament with. And he defines it like this, quote, Cease from participation in the functioning of the economy. Cease from participation in the functioning of the economy. All of life, in some ways, is buy, 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 sell, 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 advance, advance. Cease from participation in the functioning of the economy. I realized recently, maybe it's a midlife crisis, I don't know, but for whatever reason I realized it's just a game. All of life, it's a game. It's like Monopoly. Can I get more buildings on my board? Can I get more cash? Can I acquire more properties? Can I get further or if it's risk, can I have more armies? Can I aggrandize myself or advance my position on the playboard strategically so that I will be more closer to winning? It's all a game. Life, it's all a game. And when we Sabbath, what we're doing is we're protesting the game and saying, no, I am not just another pawn and another piece on the playboard. I am not going to play the game. In fact, I am going to live by a different set of rules that says I trust God to take care of me and my future rather than me constantly jockeying my position or trying to find myself in the right place so that I can set myself up to succeed. The world tells us Succeed, and there's, that's not a bad thing. But Sabbath says on the seventh day, God is the one who gives success, not me. God, my higher power, the one who takes care of me, is the one that will help me to advance, 
and you're sitting there frustrated. I know what it feels like because why am I sitting in church diddling my thumbs waiting while the market is advancing? I'm missing something. People, the competition, they're getting further ahead. Actually, they're not. I don't believe they are. You know why? Because it's like the old parable of the loggers. People with axes, they're hacking away at the wood. They have this huge job in front of them. But the guy who decides to Sabbath, he's resting all day. And everybody's like, well, we're getting ahead of you because we're working seven days. You're only working six. But they're hacking away with dull axes, friends. Axes that are dull. And on the seventh day, the smart person is sharpening his axe. This is progress. God is the one that advances your position on the playboard, not you. And when we recognize that, when we recognize that, hey, I need to rest on the seventh day. This is for me. This is what I need. I believe you are taking a solid step towards spiritual growth and spiritual health. Sabbath is that important. So how do you Sabbath? I know, I mean, what really constitutes work? This is the problem with Sabbath. If you want me to give you a rule or a law, what constitutes Sabbath, what constitutes work, and to tell you, so that's work, you shouldn't do that. I can't do that. Do you know why? This, the minute I do that, it, it slips into legalism. It just slips into another, don't do this and do that on Sunday. It's not helpful. The best that I can say is for your conscience, if you feel like you're advancing your position, if you feel like you're participating in the economy, then maybe it's best for you to let that go on the seventh day. Whatever it is, even if it's studying, I really believe students would be a lot more healthier if they took a day off to not study at all. Or if it's working, or whatever it is, taking one day off. So, that's the first half as we talk about Sabbath. It's good for you, it's good for you, it's good for you. But then this gets to an extreme as we get into the second half. For me, there was a time in my life where I was like, I'm Sabbathing. I woke up, it's 11.30, man. I was on the West Coast and I was living the West Coast life. 11.30, I slept in. Thank you, Jesus. I'm rested. I'm going to go downstairs and walk over to the coffee shop. I'm going to sit in the coffee shop and just kind of chill. And I'm, I'm going to be spiritual until 2.30 in the afternoon. Be spiritual and don't need to go to church because Jesus is with me. He lives in my heart. I'm spiritual and I'm living the spiritual life. And I'm going to take care of myself. I'm going to do some self-care. I'm going to eat this huge bag of Cheetos. That's some self-care right there. I'm going to watch three movies from Redbox. That's self-care, man. I feel good. I feel rested after that. I feel rested. I'm ready for work. I've done that. I've done that. Everything, even the three movies and the Cheetos bit. And the thing is, once Monday or, or for me, when my first day of the week comes around, I don't feel actually nourished. I don't feel like my soul was fed. Because all I basically did was, it was just hedonism. It was self-centric. It was for me. It was self-pleasing. And in the end, Sabbath, that's, yes, it's for man. But that's only half the story. The other half and the second half, the fill in the blank, is Sabbath. Why Sabbath? Out of worship unto God. We Sabbath out of worship to God. Sabbath must involve, on the one hand, self-care. You need to rest. 
But on the other hand, Sabbath must also involve worship, whatever that looks like. I really encourage, in, in particular, worship in a community. Why? This is why. This is the second lectionary passage. Isaiah chapter 58, verse 13 to 14. Isaiah speaks and he says, If because of the Sabbath you turn your foot from doing your own pleasure on my holy day, and you call the Sabbath a delight, the holy day of the Lord honorable, and you honor the Sabbath, desisting from your own ways and seeking your own pleasure and speaking your own word, then you will take delight in the Lord, and I will make you ride on the heights of the earth. I will feed you with the heritage of Jacob your father, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. There's a proliferation there of the word your own, your own pleasure, your own ways, your own, your own word, your own thing. What this is directing us towards, or I should say away from, is narcissistic self-obsession. Sabbath is for man, yes. But at the same time, Sabbath should also direct us away from ourselves. Sabbath should make us more aware of humanity. It should make us more aware of justice. It should make us more aware of compassion. It should make us more aware of God. Sabbath, I believe, is about worship. It's about rest. It is also about worship. The problem is, how do I communicate this without getting legalistic? How do I communicate this without guilt-tripping people? I'm glad because summer is over, which means vacations are over. And for me, um, I encourage, I'm thankful that you get to vacation. And I'm glad that vacations are over so that we can all gradually be together again. And I won't complain and I won't say anything. Why? Because there's going to come a time when as the pastor, as your pastor, I'm going to say, I need a sabbatical. I need one or two months off and you need to give it to me. So that's why I'm not, I'm not saying anything. I'm not, I'm not being judgmental. Because I understand rest and I understand that y'all are coming back. I understand people come back after vacations. So thank God summer's over. <laughs> but once again, worship, Sabbath is about the worship of God. Let me, let me advance, this, advance this a little bit further. How many of you are familiar with the Ten Commandments? The Ten Commandments in Deuteronomy chapter 5. In Deuteronomy chapter 5, you can see the Ten Commandments. The first three commandments, uh, don't, uh, thou, uh, no other gods before me, uh, no idolatry, don't take my name in vain. What do those first three have in common? They all pertain to God. Those first three commandments of the ten pertain to God. The latter six, don't steal, don't cheat, don't murder, don't uh, so covet, no adultery, those pertain to humanity. What's in between those six commandments and the first three? The fourth commandment unto Sabbath. And some people recognize this as transitional. The fourth commandment of Sabbath is not just for man. It's also for God. It pertains both to our human need for rest, but it also pertains to God's command unto worship and to respect the holy. 
And so in that sense, yes, Sabbath is not just for us. It is also unto God. It is commandment also unto God. So I'm going to offer three last applications about how to Sabbath. And I'm going to try to do this in the least legalistic way possible, but to somehow capture the spirit of rest. And I'll also say this, in the weeks to come when we get into the reframe, into the Sanctify series, uh, I'm going to talk more about Sabbath. There's a lot to talk about here, and we could all learn how to rest a little bit better. So, the fourth way to Sabbath, the fourth application is this. Don't just go to a service. Use a service. Don't just go to service. Use the service. Many times, even in my life, I've, I've gone to a church or, you know, you go to a church and you say, man, that preacher just tanked. Or the worship, it was just dull. Or the service, it just wasn't happening. But the thing is, we were not meant to be consumers on the Sabbath day, friends. We were not meant to be consumers on the Sabbath day. We were meant to actively worship God. And so in that sense, when it comes to worship, don't just go to a church. Use the service. Use the service for the full benefit that you can reap out of it. If the preacher preaches a word and it helps, use it. If the praise lifts up your spirits, use it. But so often we complain or we'll walk away and say, that service didn't meet my needs. I understand not every church is perfect. But in the end, use a service. That's the way I think uh, we can worship most effectively on our Sabbath. When we come and we say, I'm going to use this for my benefit. I'm going to worship God today. I am going to worship God today. I'm going to give Him my best shout, my best song, my best praise. I'm going to get into the Scripture. I want to hear. I want to grow. And I want to be rested today as I worship. The fifth application. Fifth application, quite simply, is keep coming back. It works if you work it. Keep coming back. It works if you work it. Church attendance, I think, is an art that we learn Church attendance is something that we grow into, that we understand the more we do it. There are a lot of church connoisseurs in this day and age, friends. A lot of church connoisseurs that will say, this church, that church, this church. thing is, it, it works if you work it. Keep coming back. It works if you work it. Church attendance is something we grow into, we mature into, because you come to church and you actually got to get to know that person at the other end of the aisle. You actually do have to build relationships. You actually do have to get close. You actually have to make friends. That's, I think, what the church is about. It's not about entertainment and consumerist purposes. So keep coming back. It works if you work it. And the sixth and last application to Sabbath, and we'll conclude with this, and I think this is the best way I can capture the spirit of Sabbath without kind of slapping you with legalism that all Pastor Wayne told us was we've got to come to church every Sunday. Which I wish I could say that. I wish I could say that. I w it would make my job so much easier. It would make this whole Sabbath thing more simpler. Why can't they just say, Sabbath means you can't skip church on Sunday. It's like my parents' generation love to say that. You're breaking the Sabbath if you skip church. How many happy pastors are there if you could say that? But the thing is, I want to capture the spirit of Sabbath without falling into the trap of legalism. And I think this is a good way to communicate that. The sixth and last application is stay in the center of the herd. Stay in the center of the herd 
Why? Because wolves like to pick off at the edges. The best argument that I can give you for regular Sunday after Sunday church attendance is not because thou shalt go to church every Sunday is a commandment or because you're sinning if you don't go to church. The best thing that I can say is if you are in the center of the herd, you're the safest because wolves like to pick along the edges. Learn, friends. Learn to continue to stay, to rotate in, to come into the center of the life of a church. And even for leaders, and I've got two beloved leaders here who I love very much that are going to step off of the leadership team here in several months. This is what I'll say. You ever, you ever, you ever uh, see on the Discovery Channel emperor penguins? Emperor penguins, and they herd together. They live in like... Uh, the Arctic tundra, whatever. They live out there and there's polar bears and seal, sea lions that will come up on the sheets of ice and, and if there's a straggler on the edge, they'll grab one and they'll eat it, right? And if you watch these emperor penguins, it's so cold, what they do is they huddle together in these huge um, masses, hundreds deep, hundreds of emperor penguins and they they take an aerial photo and they time-lapse it and they show it speeded up and you see the emperor penguins gradually rotating in and out because, of course, you know, with these, all these little blubbery creatures, the warmest part of the herd is where? In the center. So they make their way and they huddle into the center and the cold ones on the outside get into the center and they warm up and the ones in the center move out and give others a chance and they kind of cool off probably. They're like, it's sweaty inside there. So they come out to the edges. But they do this continually. They rotate in and out. And to my friends and beloved leaders, I'll say in church, never rotate out indefinitely because that's where the polar bears, the sea lions, the wolves like to hang out. If you rotate out indefinitely, I can't tell you how many times I've seen um, leaders get burned out or whatever, just never come back. Some have even left the faith entirely. Learn, friends, to rotate in and out. Stay in the center of the herd. Rotate out. Take some vacation time off. But gradually come back in. The center of the herd is a safe place to be. I think that's the best way that I can communicate this the best way I can communicate this when it comes to Sabbathing, stay in the center of the herd. It is out of your worship to God that you are safe, that you're in a community. Rotate out for a season, that's okay. But don't rotate out indefinitely, don't disappear. I'll close with this last story. I have a friend, and he says, Man, I don't go to church anymore. And I says, Why? And he says, I work too hard. Monday to Saturday, I'm working. I'm working. I say, I hear you, man. But church starts at 10.30 on Sunday. You know that, right? And he says, I know, but I want one day where I can rest, where I don't have to go to church, where I don't have to do anything. And I say, I get you, man. Take some time off. And he says, no, I don't want to come back to church. I'm thinking here, on the one hand, I get you. I understand you. Six days, you work hard. You work hard for a living. You do well. You provide for your family. You're a good worker, man. God's blessed you. God's blessed you with good work. But that's the thing. On the seventh day, I understand you want to rest. But doesn't it behoove you to worship the very God that's blessed you with work, that's blessed you with health, that's blessed you with safety? Anything can happen on the job, man. You could lose 
leg and not be able to work anymore. You could be fired. The market can take a really bad downturn. You might have a fallout with your boss. God's gifted you with work. Work is a blessing. Don't you think worshiping him in return for Sabbath is an obligation? This is not even me asking you. I feel bad for you because God gives, but he also takes away. Don't neglect the worship of God, the giver of all gifts. He blesses you. If you neglect the worship of God after so much good that he's done for you, I fear, I fear for that friend. I fear for him. And that's not me trying to pronounce doom, gloom, and judgment. What goes around comes around. Worship is our adequate and right response to a good giver of gifts. Let's pray. So here's the thing. I'd like you to take three very deep breaths. That's what my spiritual director always teaches me. Once I see him, we just sit around breathing for like half an hour. So awkward. Take three very deep breaths. Has God blessed you? Has God gifted you today? Then commit to rest. Make a commitment to be still. Make a commitment to cease from participation in the economy of life. Maybe something practical came to your mind. Maybe I need to give up this. Maybe I need to let go of that. Respond now in conversation to God. Just talk to Him as if you would talk naturally and tell him God I give up this God I surrender that so let's pause and do that at this time God, we come before you now, and Lord, we're all putting something on the altar. Maybe it's that extra overtime. Maybe it's that obsessive workaholism. Maybe it's just the ego and the self-centeredness. We lay it on the altar now. We thank you for the tremendous gifts that you give us, and we don't want to fail to worship you today. We thank you for health. We thank you for the miraculous healings, even that I've received a report today of the healing that you've done. Thank you for that, Lord. Thank you for the inner healing of the inner wound. 
Thank you for so much, so many things to be grateful for. Thank you for gratitude. Thank you for this community. Thank you for a chance to rotate in and out. And thank you for the worship of you, which in the end, who would have thought that focusing on somebody else other than myself could give me so much peace? Who would have thought that turning my eyes away from my own needs for once and focusing on someone other than me, 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 me could actually make me feel so much better? We worship you. We worship you today, Lord. This has been a Woven Church podcast. Woven Church is a multi-ethnic missional church that meets in West Houston. We invite you to check us out on Sunday mornings at 10.30 a.m. To find out more, visit us online at www.wovenchurch.org. That's www.wovenchurch.org.